0: You're listening to the Play, Teach, Talk podcast. I'm Tiffany Thompson, a speech pathologist with over 20 years of expertise in working with children under three years of age and their families to help them understand language and communicate more effectively. My specialty is in working with emerging communicators with few or no true words to reduce their frustration, help them interact and play with their peers and family, and learn to truly enjoy the back and forth of functional communication throughout their daily routines. This podcast is not intended to diagnose speech language disorders, but is more of a general set of suggestions for children who are experiencing delays in their language skills. For recommendations or therapy specific to your child's needs, consultation or evaluation with a licensed speech language pathologist in your city is highly suggested. This is Season 3, Episode 2 of the Play Teach Talk podcast. Autism spectrum disorder. I want to first say that children who are on the autism spectrum or autistic people as they older autistic people are telling us that they would prefer to be referred to as although ask each person. I think that's the most important thing to do is ask the person that you're talking to who is autistic how they prefer to be referred to is that working with kids who are autistic is probably one of my favorite populations to work with. Um, It's challenging because I'm neurotypical and because I, I know I don't process the world the way that they do in many cases. But I think that's part of why I love working with autistic kids the most is because it is important to me to learn to see the world in the way that they do. And it's also important to me to help bridge the gap in communication that we need to make between neurotypical and neurodivergent people. And that's why I started off the season this year with neurodiversity, because I think part of what can be tricky, especially when, let's say you have a child who has been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, um, that, that it can be difficult to understand how to create, a connection that is verbal, but it's also important to understand that you can have a connection with your child that doesn't have anything to do with words way before the words come. Um, And that is partially due to their neurodivergence. um, And it's also partially due to the fact that we have to learn how to not expect our children who are neurodivergent to process the world in the same way we do. And that is a big, (laughs) that is, that is a big rearranging of how we think about things. And I, I think um, we weren't taught in school how to always see things from other people's perspectives. We were taught that there was a list of skills that kids were supposed to have and that if we wanted them to be successful in the world, that they had to follow this list of developmental skills they had to get. And if they didn't do it in those orders, we had to go back and we had to teach them the skills that were missing in between. And um, we had to teach them how to make eye contact with us. We had to teach them how to take turns with us and that it would be difficult and more difficult for them if they did not do those things. Things in the order and in the ways that we taught neurotypical kids. But I think one of the big cool things about understanding neurodivergence from a person's perspective who is neurodivergent is that if we're willing to just see them where they are and learn how to create that bridge and not try to make kids who are on the autism spectrum or kids who are neurodivergent in any other way be different from who they are, we are going to build a much stronger relationship with them and we are going to foster their language skills and their enjoyment of interacting with other people so much more than they ever have before. So that's my little tiny soapbox, and then I'm going to get into a little more of the dry definition-based things and then talk to you a little bit about if you have recently gotten a a diagnosis of your child having autism spectrum disorder, um, what to do from there. Um, So we're going into that in the next segment. So this is going to be the definition of autism spectrum disorder. These are the diagnostic criteria that come from the DSM-5. That's the, what is this? The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, DSM-5. And these are the criteria that are described to diagnose autism spectrum disorder. There are five elements to it. Um, A is deficits in social communication and social interaction across multiple contexts as manifested by the following currently or by history. This is, gonna, this is really dry, y'all. You can skip from uh, minute four to, I don't know, minute eight or nine because I'm going to go into real detail here. There's number one, uh, deficits in social emotional reciprocity. Um, so abnormal social approach and failure of normal back and forth conversation, reduced sharing of interests, emotions, or effect, failure to initiate or respond to social interactions. Number two, deficits in nonverbal communicative behaviors for social interaction, like poorly integrated verbal and nonverbal communication, abnormalities in eye contact and body language, or deficits in understanding and use of gestures or total lack of facial expressions in nonverbal communication. And number three, this is all under A, deficits in developing, maintaining, and understanding relationships, ranging from difficulties adjusting behavior to suit various social contexts, difficulties in sharing imaginative play, or making friends, or absence of interest in peers. And then there's severities of this as well, but part B is... Restricted or repetitive patterns of behavior, interests, or activities as manifested by at least two of these. And I'll put the link to this too, so you can look this over if you'd like to. If you have any concerns about someone you know or if it's your child and you're just kind of concerned or, or thinking maybe you, you, your child or somebody you're thinking about might be on the autism spectrum. Um, stereotyped or repetitive motor movements, use of objects or speech – lining up toys, flipping objects, echolalia, idiosyncratic phrases. Number two, insistence on sameness, inflexible adherence to routines, ritualized patterns or verbal nonverbal behavior like extreme distress at small changes, difficulties with transitions, rigid thinking patterns, greeting rituals, and need to take some route or eat food every day. Number three, highly restricted fixated interests that are abnormal in intensity or focus, like a strong attachment to or preoccupation with unusual objects. Um, number four, hyper or hyporeactivity to sensory input or unusual interests in sensory aspects of the environment. Then there's C, symptoms must be present in the early developmental period, but may not become fully manifest until social demands exceed limited capacities or may be masked by learning strategies later in life. D, symptoms cause clinically significant impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of current functioning. And E, these disturbances are not better explained by intellectual disability or global developmental delay. Intellectual disability and autism spectrum disorder frequently co-occur to make co-morbid diagnoses of autism spectrum disorder and intellectual disability. Social communication should be below that expected for general developmental level. That's a whole lot of words and definitions. So basically what we're saying is difficulty with social communication, that's A, B, repetitive, restrictive behavior patterns, interests, or activities. C, symptoms that are present from early development but maybe don't become obvious until kids are a little bit older and the social demand and language demands on them are a little bit more intense. And D, symptoms causing clinically significant impairment in social, occupational, or other areas of functioning. That's where it gets to be a disorder, right? Kids can be on the autism spectrum and they aren't necessarily disordered because it's not impacting their daily routines. And then E, we can't explain it by having lower cognitive function. The DSM 5 came out in 2013, and there should be a new version of the DSM coming out sometime this year or next year. And I'm guessing there's going to be updates on the diagnoses for ASD, Autism Spectrum Disorder, because we're learning so much more about the experiences that the people who have autism are having. We're, We're learning because they're communicating them to us. So hopefully, with this extra knowledge that we all have, the definition of autism spectrum disorder can be changed to reflect a little more what might actually be going on in the thought patterns of autistic folks, namely that in many cases, we're hearing that people who are autistic, autistic people, really do want to have relationships with people. And it's not that there's no interest in relationships and in getting along but just that there's just differences in the way that they are interacting with people from neurotypical behavior. I went to a recent training, and one of the things that surprised me that I think is really cool to understand is people who are autistic, autistic people, basically know how to communicate with each other and are not bothered by Any little ticks or differences in voice patterns or things like that when they're interacting with each other. And so, one of the big points that was brought up in that training was it maybe it's really not so much that there's such a big gap between neurotypical communication and neurodivergent communication, but just that we are having a little more difficulty bridging the gaps between each other and understanding how to interact with each other with comfort. So what does uh, autism spectrum disorder look like in kids under three? And I think that this is where it gets kind of tricky because just like with many other disorders that end up getting diagnosed later in life, autism doesn't get diagnosed until kids are about three. And we have to allow for the normal differences in people's brain development as they're going through the first three years of their lives. And there are a lot of different aspects that can affect how children develop, including just their normal time that it takes their brain to develop different skills. So some things that we might see that could indicate that a child might be on the autism spectrum might also just be part of normal development as well. And I'll give you a couple of examples of that. One of those are kids who line up objects. I've seen neurotypical and neurodivergent children lining up toys. I think One of the things that we notice when it's any of these kind of behaviors, like lining up a toy or enjoying spinning things, because we all like pinwheels and Ferris wheels and uh, merry-go-rounds and things like that, it's about the intensity and the difficulty with moving on to other things when kids like those specific kind of objects spinning or uh, lining things up. The difference being maybe if you have a child that likes to line things up, like they're parking their cars in the garage, do they are they okay if you try to initiate play with them with those cars and put them up and down a ramp, or do they get really upset if you move things out of line because they want things visually to look like they look? Another example might be uh, when a kid doesn't want to finish an activity. Uh, sometimes kids who have ADHD are quick to move on from one toy to, or activity to another. So it's not necessarily that they might be on the autism spectrum, but that they might um, be, be have another issue with maybe attention or something like that. Or they could just be kids who haven't been taught how to clean up toys after they get done with it, or that's just not a practice that you do in your home. So that's where all of these things could be factors, but might not. Another thing is the delay in language skills. So One of the big things I look at is the difference between their understanding of language and their communication skills. So when you have a child who just has an expressive language delay, they seem to understand every direction that you give them. They're using gestures, they're using sounds or facial expressions, and they're kind of imitating yours when you do that. That probably is not going to be an indicator of autism spectrum disorder because they are keying into what you're doing, and so when there's no when there's a gap between receptive and expressive language skills, but they are imitating and following things, they're just not using words. Then I'm thinking that's probably not going to be an autism spectrum disorder diagnosis for that child either. There's also the topic of late talkers, and I will try to see if I can do an episode about late talkers. But the big thing to know about when people try to say that someone is a late talker is the idea behind this is that even if they wait until two years or a little bit later to start using words to communicate, that by the time they get to age three, they should be caught up and within the normal range in receptive and expressive language skills of a neurotypical person to to be a late talker basically so they have made that catching up happen within years two to three if by three your child still is not using a whole lot of communication verbally then that indicates that you might be dealing with someone who is neurodivergent or maybe you might be on the autism spectrum. So that's something to keep in mind. I have heard parents reflect to me that their pediatricians have said, it's okay, don't worry about it, they'll catch up. And when you have a three-year-old child that's still not using single words, that can really impede their ability to communicate their wants and needs with you and extra things. I like this, I don't like this. I want some more. And and we don't want kids to miss out on being able to communicate these things because a three-year-old has three years of experience. And even if we're not using single words like a, like a 12-month-old would, the child's got a three-year-old's experiences and is going to need to have a way to communicate. I'm going to give you a link in the show notes to resources to look a little bit more into some videos of children who are on the autism spectrum if you have are curious about learning more about that. But one last thing I wanted to touch on is the difference between how autism spectrum disorder can look between girls and boys we used to mostly diagnose boys with autism spectrum disorder, but what we have learned is that there has been a gap in diagnosing little girls with autism spectrum disorder as well, because of the fact that they are very good at what we call masking, which I will do a different episode on, but it's basically being able to not appear as though you have autism spectrum disorder. And I think that's why, girls have not been diagnosed as well, also because the tools that were created to diagnose autism spectrum disorder were created mostly with populations of boys. And I think it's also important to think about the fact that the prevalence of people with autism spectrum disorder has increased a lot over the past couple of decades. So we're going from people having very little information, having autism be a more rare thing that, that we saw in our populations and with less kind of data and understanding of developmental paths that are more normal for people who are on the autism spectrum. I think there wasn't good information. There wasn't enough good information to really know what we were seeing until we saw it basically over long periods of time and with lots and lots of hours and hours of observation to really know what was going on there. Um, but Girls can tend to be very, very good at this masking, but the masking itself can be very exhausting to do. So again, I will get into that into another, in another episode, but keeping in mind that little girls who are on the autism spectrum do look a little different and tend to seem more social and also maybe make more eye contact and sometimes use more words just because neurotypical boys and girls Girls, neurotypical girls tend to use words and language more readily and earlier than little boys do who are neurotypical. So it actually follows that neurotypical, neurodivergent people are also following. Girls are a little more communicative earlier than the boys are. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes to autismspeaks.org. I believe, yes, autismspeaks.org. There is a really great informative uh, page on there called what is autism and it says, learn the signs. There's some lists of things that are going that, that basically you can see that tells you that a child has autism. And I believe there are a couple of videos as well can, which can be really helpful if you can kind of see the differences in play. And then, um, there's some statistics and facts as well. But I will put that link in the show notes. If you are curious about um, autism spectrum disorder, if you want to learn more, it's always great to do an internet search and find some YouTube videos of teenagers or people in their 20s or 30s who are on the autism spectrum who can tell you what their experience is like. I am also going to include a set of videos from the Kennedy Krieger Institute that have an early signs of autism video tutorial. So it kind of shows you the differences in play and what things look like and there so there will be a link there in the show notes as well. So this is just about just skimming the surfaces of the topics of what it is to be an autistic person from a neurotypical person's point of view and Hopefully I can get you a couple more episodes that will go deeper into some of the aspects of this, but we will also be talking in a future episode about Gestalts, which is a different way of language development that is a valid one, but it's coming more into the forefront about the conversations that we're having about language development, because we are seeing that one of the two ways of learning language, language acquisition, has been the predominant way that we've considered to be typical language development. However, this developing of gestalts or chunks of language is also a valid way of learning how to use language. And it's not just used in um, kids with autism or neurodivergent kids. This is also a pattern that some children who are neurotypical use as well. It's just not one that we know as much about as the kind of traditional developmental pattern for language development. If you have any questions, please feel free to email at playteachtalk at gmail.com and check out the show notes and get some more information about autism spectrum disorder and autistic people. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would help me greatly if you subscribe or leave a five-star review. For additional content, including YouTube videos, articles, handouts, and help catered specifically to your child's needs, please visit PlayTeachTalk.com.